Hello, I'm Kevin Fox, the Editor-in-Chief of the Future Healthcare Journal, and thank you for listening to our podcast. We have in recent months had an unprecedented volume of material covering the COVID-19 pandemic and a broad range of other topics. I'm the RCP Journal subject collection at www.rcpjournals.org slash COVID-19 now contains over 80 articles on all aspects of the pandemic. I was pondering a more reflective approach to the pandemic. In medicine, we often face the dilemma of how to approach chronic disease. Do we hit hard at first presentation or gradually escalate therapy in relation to disease severity? Take an inflammatory arthropathy. Either we start with an NSAID, consider adding a disease-modifying drug if symptoms are not controlled, and beyond that, utilise the biologics? Or do we hit hard at onset, seeking complete disease suppression? I would suggest the modern approach is to try and get on top of the disease process and then go into the maintenance phase. The parallels with the government's approach to COVID-19 seem obvious, and I'm not sure their approach measures up. By contrast, I think we in medicine have established a good deal about what works and what doesn't, not just in terms of direct therapy, dexamethasone, proning, but also in terms of training, support and service redesign. This is illustrated by FHJ articles online and in the latest paper issue. We can successfully adapt our services. Examples include respiratory medicine, where Kumar et al. describe a helpline for GPs. Interestingly, from quite early in the pandemic, it was notable that the most frequent queries related to the management of persisting COVID-19 symptoms lasting several weeks, chest pain, cough, breathlessness, fever, palpitations and fatigue. We can also develop telephone helplines, and one called Call the Medical Registrar was set up by Burroughs et al., and they report how they utilised six vulnerable medical staff who were working in non-patient-facient roles, who then took on this helpline. Some services simply cannot be put on hold, such as diabetic foot disease. Diogen et al. describe an early adaptation of their service with telephone triage and consultations by phone and virtual where possible. But it's important to note that they report the majority of the new patient triages resulted in a face-to-face consultation being planned with appropriate social distancing and timing between consultations. So virtual medicine has its limits and we should understand this. We have found that we can adjust rotors and working practices to cope with the demands of patient care during a pandemic. King et al and Rockcroft all report examples, although the sustainability of these rotors remains to be seen as the pressures continue and the workforce becomes increasingly mentally and physically fatigued. We have certainly learnt we can continue to educate and learn by embracing digital technology. Minhas and Henderson both report programmes of education. Surely these will become some of the most sustainable changes. One feature of our care that has had to adapt is communicating with relatives, 
especially for patients in intensive care. The paper by Christopher Ellis on our website describes a team of medical students and retired consultants providing communication with families. The article is fascinating, not just because they established an effective and compassionate system, but also because it includes the personal reflections of one of the students. In one of the more poignant lines, he writes, I spoke to certain relatives almost every day and inevitably became invested in their journey, hoping every day to give them good news, but often not being able to. This paper and others illustrate the extent of the changes to our lives. It takes its toll and we need to provide support. The timely theme of our paper issue in October is the digital health workforce. And I would like to thank Sheena Visram and Wajid Hussain for guest editing. Some clear messages emerge. Digital technology has been vital in responding to the challenge of COVID-19. It has generated an acceleration in the integration of digital technology into our practice. My appraisal of our articles is that we underestimate our patients' capability of using and benefiting from digital technology, virtual consultation, and utilizing the internet and social media to help them manage their disease. Do read and draw your own conclusions. I'm sure you will have your own reflections on the articles we publish. Do share them using our Twitter account at FutureHealthJ. These and other developments are not without their cautions. Change affects people variably and the changes related to the pandemic particularly so. There is increasing disquiet that the already marked inequalities in healthcare are extending. The digitally savvy patient is much more able to access healthcare and IT skills correlate with markers of social class and inversely with deprivation. Prevention has taken a back seat which will more greatly affect those where prevention measures already struggle to reach. The link between obesity and well-being, one of the areas where the Prime Minister has near universal support from healthcare professionals, disproportionately affects the most deprived and successful weight reduction programmes tend to be utilised by the least deprived. This perfect storm of inequality needs to be explored and addressed. In the upcoming months and in the next paper issue, we will be focusing on inequality in healthcare. Thank you for listening, stay well, and I hope you enjoy the future healthcare journal.